Uh, I saw something on Facebook this week, and uh, it was just a black picture with some words, and it said, if your pastor makes a good point, dump Gatorade on him like they do at the Super Bowl when the team wins. Um, but I don't see any Gatorade here, so I feel good about that. Uh, well, this morning, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, and Pastor Joe somehow got a Tim Tebow jersey. I don't know where, but uh, he has it. So a lot of us are probably going to watch the game tonight. Some of us are football fans, and we're really cheering for the Panthers or the Broncos, and some of us like Peyton Manning, some of us like Cam Newton. And then other of us, we just watch the Super Bowl because it's a social event or because you like the commercials, right? So, and, then, and then surprisingly, I met some people who just don't like sports, and they said, we're not going to watch the Super Bowl at all, and I was flabbergasted. I literally didn't know what to say. I was like, Okay. But, but statistics tell us about 117 million people tonight will watch the Super Bowl. And now some of us will watch it differently than others. Because some of us actually think we play a part in the game. Okay, so some of us, we think, man, if I sit in my favorite chair and I sit in this chair, my team will win. And then other of us, we put on our favorite jersey and we say, hey, I remember back in 1994, I wore this jersey and we won the game and ever since you've been wearing that same jersey. Now back when the Eagles were a winning team, okay, you, some of you aren't even old enough to remember that. When the Eagles were a winning team, uh, we would watch the game at my one friend's house. And it was later in the season and the Eagles were losing the game and all of a sudden my friend went to the bathroom and the Eagles scored a touchdown. And so for the rest of that game, we would push him into the bathroom whenever the Eagles were close to scoring. And for the rest of the season, he basically spent the game in the bathroom. Now, I don't want to break the bad news to you, but you don't play a part in the game. Just because you sit in a chair or wear a smelly jersey or hang out in the bathroom, it doesn't affect whether your team wins or not. See, the Super Bowl is an epic game, and yet our part in it is nothing. But we do have a chance to play a part in an epic life. And that's what our series in Epic Life is all about, how God can help us live an epic life for him. And so we've been using the character of David to look at this. In the first week, we saw how David, an ordinary shepherd boy, God changed his life and, and allowed him to live an extraordinary life by anointing and become the king of Israel. And then the next week, we looked at the story of David and Goliath, and we saw how how through Jesus Christ we can have epic courage and how David had courage. And then last week we talked about uh, how we can trust God's timing with epic trust. And we talked about how King David was hanging out in a cave and King Saul came in to do some business. And David cut off part of his robe and, and said, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And David chose to trust God's timing and not do things on his own. And so this morning... We're going to skip from that passage, which was 1 Samuel 24, all the way to 2 Samuel 9 to talk about a part of David's life that was epic. And so let me fill you in what happens in these next 16 chapters or so. So in 1 Samuel 24, David's in the cave. Saul comes in. David spares his life because he says, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And so he trusts God. And then at the end of that, Saul says, hey, David, I'm not going to chase you anymore. We're good together. And then three chapters later, Saul's chasing David once again. David has a chance to kill Saul. He says, no, I'm going to trust God's timing. Then we see in a, David runs away to hide with the enemy. 
uh, Saul and Jonathan, David's best friend, get killed in a battle. And then David becomes the king, finally. But he's only the king of one tribe, the tribe of Judah, out of the 12 tribes. So one of Saul's sons becomes the king over the other 11 tribes. And this goes on for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, the, the son of Saul's name's Ishbosheth. Two of his own guys kill him. And then David becomes the king over the entire kingdom. He goes on to conquer a city called Jerusalem, and he makes it his capital. And now he's fighting all these different battles and crushing nations around him to subdue them. And at the end of 1 Samuel 8, what we come to is that God has given rest to David from all the nations around him, and he clearly has the kingdom in his possession. And so David has peace, and he starts to think back to some events in his life, and there's some things that have happened here. And in this, maybe we'll call it a lull in David's life, we're going to get to see one of the most beautiful pictures of two people interacting, probably in the Old Testament. And so we're going to look at that this morning, 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you want to turn there. And I'm going to pray before we get into our passage. So let's join together and ask God to speak to us. God, thank you that you're our Father. Thank you that you speak. Thank you that it is, we don't just read words in, in some old book and say that's nice, but that you're living and active, and so is your word that it speaks to us. God, I pray you work in our hearts today by your Holy Spirit. Lead us closer to you in your name. Amen. So 2 Samuel chapter 9, and uh, instead of just reading this morning... Um, I'm going to do something a little scary. I want to tell you the story through the voice of the characters in the story so we can really kind of embrace what's happening in this passage. And so we're, we're just going to kind of hear the story and then we're going to ask at the end of this, what does this have to do with you or what does this have to do with me? So first we're going to ask, um, what does David want to do? What's happening with David? Well, it's been a long time. Most of my life has been running or fighting. And finally, finally, God's given me everything I need here. You know, in my life, I've met a lot of people. And I've lost some people, especially my good friend, Jonathan. You know, the last time I saw Jonathan... He saved me from his father Saul. And before I left him, he made me make a promise or a covenant to him. And he made me promise to, to be loyal to his family and to extend my friendship to them forever. So I said, yes, of course. And then a few, days, a few days later, that day came when I heard that Jonathan and Saul were killed. Such a hard day. But you know what? That promise that I made with Jonathan, I'm going to keep it. And I wonder, who's left that I could give this to? Let's find out. See, in the beginning of, of 2 Samuel 9, we, we see David reflecting on the events of his life and just thinking about his friend. And he made a, a covenant 
with his friend Jonathan to always take care of Jonathan's family. And he's going to end up meeting a young man. And we're going to read that in the passage. We'll read what, what happens next. 2 Samuel 9, 1-5. David asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked Ziba. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makur, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. So David's found this descendant that he wants to bless. And before we go on the story, I want to highlight one thing that he said. He said, I'm looking to show God's kindness to someone. Now, we think of kindness of being nice to someone. The word kindness in the Old Testament, in the language that was written in Hebrew, is the word hesed, which can mean God's kindness. But it's more like this. It's when God shows love to someone who can't repay him, to someone who can uh, never deserve it and never earn anything. And so that's when God kind of gives that to people. Another word for that is grace. It's grace. So David's looking to extend grace to someone. And we shouldn't just see this as a normal part of being a king, like you try to find people to, to bless. No, when you're the new king and the old king is dead, your goal is to kill everybody in that family because you don't want them to come back and take over your throne and say, I have the rightful claim. So instead of David trying to protect his kingdom and his stuff, he actually, and goes, is trying to pay it forward. And so we're going to see the interaction between him and this young man. Well, I don't really know what to say. That was David's men. And they said, the king wants to see me. Of course he wants to see me. I mean, what else does a new king do but take out the family of the old king. You know, I thought I was lucky. I thought he had kind of forgotten about me, but I guess not. You know what? I think it's all just par for the course anyways. Man, life's been downhill for me most of my life. You know, it kind of started when I was five years old. When I was five years old, one day... I hear the news that my dad and my grandfather dies on the same day. And my mom's not around. And so my nurse takes me out of the house and she runs because she knows if she doesn't get me out, I might die. And she falls and she drops me. And now I'm crippled for the rest of my life on the same day that my dad and grandfather died. You know, if it hadn't been for McCurr, I probably would be dead, but, and he took me in and gave me food and gave me a place to live. And, you know, the place we live is, the name means no pasture. I don't really have anything. I don't even have a cent to my name. My name, that's another thing. It's just peachy, isn't it? Mephibosheth. 
Have you ever heard of another Mephibosheth? Apparently no one else has either because no one could pronounce my name. They call me Mephibosheth. Mepa, what's your name? Some people just say, hey, you. It's gotten so bad, I just told people to call me Mepi. You know, my name is supposed to mean exterminator of shame. And yet my entire life has been nothing but shame. So you know what? Maybe I'm better off dead. So, well, it's time to go say goodbye to my family. And see King David. See Mephibosheth. He thought this trip to see King David was the end. And rightfully so. And yet David, he knew what he was about to do. He knew Mephibosheth's life would never be the same. Let's hear maybe how he was feeling. This isn't necessarily in the scripture, but I, I want to try to catch the heart of David. I can't wait to see Mephibosheth. I mean, I think that's what his name is. He doesn't know it, but this is going to be the best day of his entire life. I mean, everything he knew is going to be different and everything's going to change. And man, he didn't do anything to deserve it. It was all because of his dad, Jonathan. You know, this is sort of like what God's done for me. None of my life did I ever deserve what I got. That I was just stuck as a shepherd boy, and I was the youngest of eight brothers, and, and if God didn't call me to be the king, I don't know where I'd be today. Man, I'd, I'd probably be trying to make a living somehow in this world. And then on top of being king, there's been lots of times in battle when we were overwhelmed and the odds were against us, and somehow, I don't know why, God came and he took care of the enemy. He's just really given us what we didn't deserve. And I can't wait to give that to Mephibosheth. See, when we see the interaction between David and Mephibosheth, we see David's kindness to him. Let's read in 2 Samuel 9, 6 through 11, what happened when Mephibosheth came. It says, when Mephibosheth... Son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant? that you should notice a dead dog like me. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord, the king, has commands his servant to do. Let's hear from Mephibosheth what he thinks of what just happened. 
Can you believe this? Were you listening to that? I thought this was going to be the last day of my life. And yet it turned out to be the best day of my life. I mean, even when I walked in, the king had a big smile on his face. And then he called me by my name. And he got it right. First, he told me he's going to show me kindness. And he said, it's because of my father, Jonathan. Now, I'm not sure what my father, Jonathan, did. But whatever he did, I get the benefit now. You know what would have been great if he just said, I'm going to show you kindness and not kill you. And that would have been enough for me. But he went beyond that. He said, everything that your grandfather saw owned, I'm going to give to you all the land, all his property. And so I went from a man who had nothing on the streets to someone who has everything I could ever want. I have more money than I could ever dream of now. And before, I couldn't do anything, but now I have 35 people who work for me. This might be the best day of my life, but that's not it. David didn't just say, man, I'm going to give you all this money, but he said something significant. He said, I'm going to have you eat at my table always. And so I don't know where you're from. I don't know what that means to you. But where I come from, when someone invites you to eat at their table always, it means that you get to become a part of their family. So I didn't have a dad coming into this. And now the king of all Israel is now my dad. I don't know what I did to deserve this. But I know one thing, that my life is never going to be the same. See, for Mephibosheth, this was better than winning the Powerball. These are going to fall. This was better than winning the Powerball for Mephibosheth. Just think about this. He went from being someone who might have had a death warrant on his head to someone who was allowed and who's going to live in the king's palace. And then he had zero money and zero influence and zero power. And now he's going to be one of the most influential people and one of the most wealthy people in the kingdom. And then he didn't have a father and now he has a father. See, that's what David's kindness did for Mephibosheth. You know, let's, we're going to read the rest of the story, just two verses. In verse 11, it says this, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And then it says this, He was lame in both feet. Isn't it interesting that the author, four different times in this passage, he says, and then Mephibosheth was going to eat at David's table for the rest of his life. He really says that's really important. And then for some reason, he keeps emphasizing that he was lame in both feet. Why would he do that? All these amazing things just happened to Mephibosheth, and now he's saying, but he was lame in both feet. See, I, I think for Mephibosheth, his lameness, his crippledness was a reminder that he didn't deserve any of it. 
In fact, let's hear one last time from him. Well, it's been a little while since we talked last. A few years. And you know, the good news is I wasn't dreaming that everything that David said would come true came true. That my family's taken care of. We have everything that we could possibly want. I don't need to do anything because I've been given servants to take care of it. It's amazing how these things will change you. You know, but I can't stop asking the question, why me? Why me? I mean, just look at me. Maybe I'm dressed in nicer clothes. Maybe I'm cleaned up, but look at me. I'm still lame and crippled. You know, there's still no benefit for David to have me around his kingdom. I can't really do anything. I didn't really have anything to give to him. Even if I was to give back all the money that he gave me, it still wouldn't be enough. See, David's given me everything. I didn't deserve any of it. But because he did, I'd be willing to give him my everything. See, Mephibosheth, he didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. He couldn't pay it back. And honestly, for you and I, our story is not that different from Mephibosheth's story. See, Mephibosheth received David's kindness, but for us, we get to receive God's kindness or God's grace. You know, I was reading this week in an author named Chuck Swindoll. He, he kind of painted a picture of how we're like Mephibosheth. And there's a couple of ways. See, in the beginning of Mephibosheth's life, he had this perfect communion with his dad and his grandfather, and he may have been set up to be the next king of Israel. We're not really sure. And in the beginning of humankind... When, when God created humans, they lived in perfect harmony with him. And they had a perfect relationship and everything was good. But then you come to the next scene in Mephibosheth's life on that fateful day when he was five. And we, and we see the fall. We see that his nurse was running out and she dropped him on the ground and crippled him for the rest of his life. And he became physically handicapped. And you know for us, theologians call when humans disobeyed God, they call that the fall. And it basically means that time when humans disobeyed God and they broke the relationship between God and man and, and there was perfect communion, now there's nothing. There wasn't a way for us to make ourselves right with God and we became spiritually handicapped. But then something happened. An act of grace happened from Mephibosheth. He went to see King David expecting it to be the last day of his life. And it became the best day of his life. And you know what? It wasn't because of anything Mephibosheth did, but it was actually because of his dad, Jonathan. His dad, Jonathan, made a promise with David, a covenant. And Jonathan ended up giving his life on, on Mount Gilboa. 
you know, for us, all that God's given to us is not because of something we've done, not because of something we can earn, we can pay back, or we deserve, but it's because of someone who gave their life for us. And he did it on Mount Calvary, and his name is Jesus. Jesus gave up his life when he died on the cross for us so that we could be made right in the sight of God. That his sacrifice on the cross took care of all the, the ways we've messed up and all the ways we've separated ourselves from God. See, we're like Mephibosheth in the fact that we received grace that came from someone else's actions. You know, but it doesn't stop there, honestly. Mephibosheth was raised to a place of honor in the kingdom. You know, for us, even though we were messed up and we were actually enemies of God, God raised us up to be friends of his. And he did stop there. He definitely didn't stop there. Mephibosheth didn't have a dad. And David said, I'm going to have you eat at my table and you're going to become my son. And God says that to us today. That when you put your faith in Jesus, when you receive him, that you get to be sons and daughters of the living God, the creator of the universe. And guess what? It's not because you're good. It's not because you've done so many nice things for people. It's not because you tried to live a good life. It's only because of Jesus. And so maybe you didn't have an example of a good dad growing up. Maybe they didn't love you or care for you. But listen, God is a good, good dad who loves you, who cares for you, who wants to provide for you. But you know what? At the end of Mephibosheth's life, there was something still there. That he was handicapped. That even though he had all the wealth and all the power, that he still had that one thing in his life. You know, for us, even if you've put your faith in Jesus and you're following, which I hope you are today, we still have things in our life, don't we? We still live in this broken world and, and things are bad sometimes and people get hurt and there's injustice done. And honestly, sometimes those things are done by me. And sometimes those things are done by you. We're not getting it perfect. And yet we still receive the grace of Jesus. Regardless of all we've done, the people we've hurt, he still gives us his grace and says, I love you when you follow Jesus. And there's been times in my life where I thought, God, why are you still chasing after me? Why do you still love me when I'm such a messed up person? And all I heard was his voice saying, I love you. I care for you. And so today, no matter where you're at, you say, I don't think Jesus can accept me. You're wrong. He wants to accept you and love you. And even for us who think, man, I'm so good, God should accept me. The truth is you're not good enough for him to accept you, but he still accepts you. And so the question for us this morning is, how are we going to respond to God's grace? How do we respond to his kindness that we didn't deserve, we can't earn, and we can never pay back? See, I think we have a couple of choices. This morning we can respond to God's grace in a few ways. Man, 
we can honestly just forget about God's grace and say, yeah, that was great. There's been lots of times in my life where I felt that way, like, God, thanks for doing that, but I got my own things to do and I own things to worry about. And I started to focus on myself. Or we can do what I think people received grace should do, and that is to worship God. We worship him because of what he did for us. See, when you understand and you realize the grace that you've been given, it doesn't just change the way you see God. It actually changes the way you treat other people, and it changes the way that you see the world. Because you say, no matter what's happening, I know God's with you. I know he's given me that grace. And then secondly, people who receive that grace we get the opportunity to extend the same grace to other people. Man, David had received grace from God and he wanted to pass that on. You know, it's really easy as a, a follower of Jesus to just say, man, I follow Jesus, now I'm good, I get my ticket punched for heaven. Do you know that's a way skewed view to look at that? Because yes, do we get eternal life with Christ? Absolutely. But he calls us to extend the same grace to be a blessing to people around us. So I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward this morning. And we're going to receive communion. And communion is a way to celebrate the grace that we've been given. And while we're waiting, I want us just to take a, take a minute to reflect on these two questions. How we respond to God's grace this week. And secondly, how you extend it to others. You know, maybe you're in here today and you say, Andrew, this, this idea is something new to me. But I want that relationship. Jesus this morning is calling out to you, saying, I love you, I care for you, and I died for you. And today, if you want to become a follower of Jesus and receive that grace, you can. Just through a simple prayer of saying, God, thank you for sending your son to die. Please forgive me for all that I've done. Come into my life and help me to follow you. And you can do that just while you're sitting at your seats this morning. At the end of communion, you're going to have your orange card. Love to have you write down how you want to respond to this this morning. If you've committed your life to Christ to recommit it, we want to hear about that. So just mark that on the card. So why don't we take a minute and reflect on how we're going to respond to God's grace. And Pastor Joe will come up and lead us in communion.
if you would, just uh, right now, someone near to you, it doesn't matter if you know them or not, I just wish uh, everyone could just move to a place where they're next to someone. If you're alone and you're standing by yourself or whatnot, I just want you to be able to get close to someone and I want you to do something in this moment. I want you to get close to someone. It will be a little awkward if you don't know them, but I want you to look them in the eye. And with all the earnestness and sincerity you can muster, I want you to look at them and just tell them simply and straightforwardly, there's grace for you. Would you do that? Would you just get close to someone right now? I'm gonna go say it to Vinny, Vinny's gonna say it to me and minister to one another. There's grace for you. There's grace for you. There's grace for you. I'm so thankful. There's grace for me. You are far more loved than you can imagine. There is grace for you. How do I know? How can I say that? Romans chapter five, verses six through eight. Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we want to be a church. We want to be a people who are profoundly gracious. Lord, we sin and we fail and we mess up, but that is not who we are. We are saints. We are your sons and daughters. The cross of Jesus Christ screams to us, there is grace for you. And so, Lord, we're no longer describing ourselves as sinners saved by grace because we've received the grace of Jesus Christ and it's real and it's active in our lives. We are now called saints who sin. But our identity is in Christ. We have your grace because our faith and our hope is in Jesus. 
We are so imperfect. He is perfect. And we will live for you, Lord. And when we fall and when we fail, we won't hide behind our masks and pretend that things are fine when they're not. Because, Lord, when we look at our feet this morning, we realize that we are Mephibosheth. We are crippled and lame. But we have a seat at your table. And we are welcome there. And it's only through Jesus Christ and his goodness and his grace. And so, Lord, I pray that today we would celebrate and live out of that grace. I pray our hearts would be filled with joy and with peace and with hope. I pray that we would add beauty to the world that we live in. I pray that we would be people of profound love and compassion and mercy. I pray that Spring Valley would be known in Royersford as the place to go when life is hard and when life is a mess. And that this community might know that there is grace for them in Jesus Christ and in the people of God here. Lord, may we learn to live and to accept that we make messes, but we can love and we can give grace and we can continue to point one another to Jesus, how deeply we need him, how deeply we're loved by him. Thank you. Thank you for the grace you give. Bless us as we go and let us spread the grace of God wherever we find ourselves. Jesus, you're the only hope. In your name I pray, amen, amen. There is grace for you. Have a great week.